Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us for a few moments as we continue investigating Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out in this series of programs on the Gospel of the Kingdom that Jesus was a Jew who must be understood in his first century Palestinian and Jewish environment. We're reading the words of Jesus at a distance of some 2,000 years, and we must make the effort, so to speak, to get under his skin and to relate to him intelligently by searching out the meaning of his saving gospel preaching of the kingdom in relation to the rooting of that idea in the Hebrew Bible, that 77% of our Bible that we rather mistakenly call the Old Testament and really ought to call the Hebrew Bible. Jesus' own Bible. Jesus, you see, was a Jew. The stories of the Old Testament, God's plan revealed progressively through the nation of Israel, all of that formed the foundation of Jesus' theology. The words of the Hebrew Bible were the words on which Jesus was reared. Those are the words that he quoted almost instinctively. It was with those words from the Hebrew Bible that he answered the deceptive attacks of the devil. The stories of the Hebrew Bible were the stories which Jesus had read from early childhood. The songs of the psalmist of the Hebrew Bible were the songs of Jesus. It was indeed in the Hebrew Bible that Jesus found his own identity as he pondered the great promises of the coming Messiah. Believing himself to be that Messiah, he found the outline of his career, his whole identity and personality, predicted and promised in the pages of the Hebrew Bible. It was in the Hebrew Bible that Jesus found the revelation of God's plan. He knew from reading Genesis onwards that God intended one day to reestablish peace and prosperity and harmony across our globe in the restored revolutionary government called the Kingdom of God. The time coming when the Messiah, who Jesus believed he was, would rule in the first successful worldwide theocracy, the revolutionary government of God to be established through the instrumentality of the Messiah at his second coming. That whole story is outlined on page after page of the Hebrew Bible, and Jesus was informed and inspired by it during the course of his whole evangelistic campaign and career. Jesus found in the Hebrew Bible the goal of his whole missionary activity the whole purpose of his evangelism was to announce the coming of the future kingdom of peace on the earth, the restoration of harmony amongst men. That was what drove the entire ministry of Jesus. As somebody has said, the deeper you go into understanding the Old Testament, the closer you come to the heart of Jesus. It would be reasonable then to expect that Christians everywhere would be clamoring for more information, more understanding, and a greater grasp of that 77% of our Bibles, the Hebrew Bible. It's worth remembering that Jesus himself during his lifetime never actually read the New Testament. In an excellent publication entitled Knowing Jesus Through the Old Testament by Chris Wright, I read the following insightful comment. It saddens me, says this author, that so many Christians in these days love Jesus, but know so little about who he thought he was 
and what he'd come to do. Jesus then becomes a kind of photo montage composed of a random mixture of gospel stories topped up with whatever fashionable image of Jesus is current, including recently the New Age caricatures of him. This author goes on to say, Jesus is cut off from the historical Jewish context of his own day and from his deep roots in the Hebrew Scriptures. End of quotation. What an excellent summary of the difficulties in which Christians find themselves as they struggle to read the Bible. If only they would grasp the foundation of the gospel of the kingdom in the Hebrew Bible, how much easier it would be to relate to Jesus' own preaching of the gospel and therefore to his message of salvation. The gospel, you see, does not originate as an idea with Jesus. It is rooted in the Hebrew Bible. As Paul remarked in Galatians 3 verse 8, the gospel was preached ahead of time to Abraham. And in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, he speaks of the gospel being promised in the Hebrew Scriptures. Jesus, indeed, said Paul, was a minister to the Jews to confirm the promises made to Israel. And it is to be part of those promises, to inherit those same promises, that comes as an invitation to the Gentiles also. The very same Christianity which Jesus offered to the Jews, the very same gospel of the kingdom and the inheritance of the future kingdom on the earth, that very same promise was extended from the time of Pentecost to all the nations. And when Cornelius, the first Gentile convert, became a Christian, he was joining the commonwealth of Israel. He was indeed becoming a participant in the great promises made to Abraham since the gospel itself, said Paul in Galatians 3 verse 8, was preached ahead of time to Abraham. It would make perfect sense then for a Christian who is investigating the Bible and finding the roots of his faith and learning to love Jesus through loving the mind of Jesus and the scriptures which had encouraged and informed Jesus, it would make perfect sense for him to find out about the gospel as it was preached to Abraham. If we turn back to Genesis 12, we find that fundamental statement about what God offered to Abraham and what God promised Abraham and what God demanded of Abraham. Abraham was called, as we remember, from Ur of the Chaldees to go in so-called blind faith to a land that God would show him. A land, we notice, something by way of a promise, a promised inheritance on this earth. The great fundamental idea in the Abrahamic covenant is the promise of the land, a territorial promise. And yet in Christianity today, how little we hear of the territorial promise which underlies the gospel as it was preached to Abraham ahead of time, Galatians 3.8, and as it was confirmed in the Messiah, the Son of God, as we read in Romans 15, verse 8. If, as Paul said, the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham, Galatians 3, verse 8, then it would be reasonable to investigate what was it that was preached to Abraham? What are the terms of the covenant agreement made between God and Abraham? Well, the first item on the agenda of the promises made by God to Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4, is the land that, as we follow the story through Genesis, is going to be his forever. Secondly, there's the promise of progeny. 
and multitudes of progeny indeed. Now, the single progeny we know to be Jesus Christ himself. He is the seed of Abraham, the promised seed, as Galatians chapter 3 explains. So we have land, we have the promise of the individual seed, the Messiah, and we have the promise of a multitude of descendants. Now, how do those three promises work into the Christian gospel? Well, quite simply like this. Jesus Christ is himself the promised seed of Abraham. Jesus Christ promised the land to his followers. Blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the land. There's the land promise renewed. The land promise indeed made to Abraham, renewed and affirmed in Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ as the reward of the faithful. Jesus then is the promised seed. The promise of the inheritance of the land to Abraham can come to a multitude of people only through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ in his gospel of the kingdom in fact was announcing the very same promise of the land made to Abraham. In that way, the gospel, the Christian gospel, is rooted in that famous passage in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. Jesus Christ, the seed, the land promised in perpetuity, the land promised to Abraham becomes the kingdom of God promise in the new, because it's in the land that the kingdom of God will indeed be established. We're praying for that land fulfillment, that promise of territorial inheritance, to Jesus Christ and all the faithful, including, of course, the father of the faithful, Abraham himself. We're praying for that great fulfillment of the land kingdom promise based on the oath-bound covenant made with Abraham when we pray the famous prayer, Thy kingdom come. That's tantamount to saying, May the oath-bound covenanted promises made to Abraham, fulfilled in Jesus Christ, come to pass when Jesus Christ comes back to take possession of his covenanted inheritance. Blessed are the meek indeed, because they will become recipients of the Abrahamic promise of the land when they inherit the earth or inherit the kingdom of God. And by inheriting the kingdom, of course, the Bible means not just being there, sitting under a fig tree or staring into space, but actively ruling and controlling and administering that land with Jesus in the future kingdom when he comes back to this earth. Now you may ask, how did this simple land kingdom promise become obscured? And the truth of the matter is that after the Bible times, the Gentiles and Greek philosophically minded church fathers did not have a proper understanding of the messianic promises made to Abraham and so gradually, over a period of time, they substituted the disappearance of the immortal soul to heaven as the Christian award. And so it has remained today. To this very time, Christians constantly speak in a very unbiblical way about when I get to heaven or so-and-so's in heaven, forgetting entirely the Abrahamic covenant which promises them the earth. And so it is that in some theological circles, a distinction has been drawn, quite falsely according to the Bible, that it's only the Jews in the future who are going to inherit the earth. Meanwhile, so the theory goes, the Christians will go to heaven. In that way, the land promise made to Abraham will only come to fulfillment 
for national ethnic Jews. Now that unfortunately destroys the teaching of Christ when he promised his faithful followers, the Christians, the promise of the earth. Listen to it again in Matthew 5, verse 5. The Sermon on the Mount, you see, was not addressed to Jews, not even exclusively to Jewish Christians. By expansion to the Gentiles, it becomes the property of all of us who believe in Jesus. If you are Christian, said Paul in Galatians 3.29, then you are Abraham's seed and you are heirs of the kingdom, that is, heirs of the land according to the promise, the promise made to Abraham. That text in Galatians 3, verse 29, can correct a mass of misunderstanding. If you belong to Christ, if you're a Christian, whether Jew or Gentile, then you are reckoned as Abraham's seed, and therefore, of course, you inherit. You're destined to inherit the very promises made to Abraham and given also to Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, you inherit the promises made to Abraham. Jesus himself is the promised seed, and you become part of that seed of Abraham by believing in Christ and in his gospel about the kingdom of God. Christianity, therefore, is a demand that we repent and begin to believe what God began to work out in the life of Abraham and what he brought to partial fulfillment in the historical life of Jesus and will bring to final fulfillment in the future kingdom. We invite you to request from us our book covering these issues of the kingdom of God and the gospel and join us again for our continued investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.